Anybody want to share a quick word of testimony? Take your Bibles, and if you have it with you, Exodus 30. Go way back. Not quite to the beginning, but almost. Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. I'll give you a minute to get there. We've been looking at the topic of worship now for several weeks. For whatever reason, we didn't do the last two weeks. But we didn't have church, did we? Verses 34 through 38. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte, and Annika, Galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of apothecary. Tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy before the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. When's the last time you studied those verses? I confess it's been a long time. I read through every year. I know that, but there's a fellow I see on YouTube on some clips of him once in a while. He came out of the Amish about 25 years ago, and he's now a born again Christian. And uh, one of his clips, he said, "You know, we never wore." cologne or perfume, and anybody who's not Amish is considered worldly or English people, from according to the Amish. And he said, I always loved when he came to do business with us, because they always smell so good. And uh, he said, I didn't know the difference between cologne and perfume. And uh, he said, the first girl I dated once I got out of the Amish community she said one evening, she goes, you smell like a girl. And he said, what do you mean? And she said, well, what are you spraying on? He, she, she, and he showed her, she said, that's perfume. He said, I didn't know the difference. I didn't want to smell good. <laughs> 
And I suppose there's something to be said about that. You heard the story about the two fellows working together side by side, and it was a manual job, something Rick doesn't know anything about. Uh, it required hard work and labor. And one guy said one day, he said, somebody's uh, 24-hour protection wore off. And his co-worker said, it's not mine. I don't wear this stuff. So perfume. But tonight we're looking at something very serious. And that's the scent of biblical worship. The verses I just read tonight in your hearing falls smack dab in the middle of a section of the Bible devoted to the tabernacle. I think you know the tabernacle was a portable, movable tent. Jeremy preached a message about that a few years, but I never forgot that. And it wasn't allowed to touch what, Jeremy? It wasn't allowed to touch the ground. Because everything about that was holy. And the reason it was holy, it was designed for the worship of God. Every piece of cloth Every board, every piece of furniture, every item in the tabernacle was developed, designed, and commissioned for the use of worship of the Almighty God, El Shaddai. And I am convinced, and I think the Bible backs it up, that everything which was part of the tabernacle in some way pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. If you're a student of the Scriptures, you will know that most of the time the tabernacle was referred to as a tent of meeting. It's where Aaron and Moses went to meet with God. It was there at the tabernacle that Israel met with God. It was there that sacrifices were continually offered to God. It was there in the tent of the meeting that the worship of Jehovah God took place on a daily basis. And remember, they didn't just offer sacrifices to offer sacrifices. It was a part of a worship of God. But most of all, it was there the atonement was made for the sins of the people. You can't help but miss Jesus in that. If you're a student of the Old Testament, you know that everything they did in that 40 years 
revolved around the tabernacle. Whenever they camped during those 40 years, they were to camp around the tabernacle in a certain order, by the way. And so the tabernacle was the center of the camp. And the reason for that was, it was a tangible reminder that God and the worship of God was to be at the center of their lives. The center of their lives. And the tabernacle was the most important place in Jewish social and religious life. And it continued even when Solomon built his tabernacle. And I want to say it was devoted to God. And the tabernacle, I hope you know that it wasn't Moses' idea. The tabernacle was designed by God to declare God. Now think about that. In John 1.18, I don't have the verse. In my notes, it just came to my mind. I hope I got the right verse. I'm going by memory. Jesus came to declare God. Ain't that true? The tabernacle declared God. And the verses we read tonight... Deal with the incense. They burned in the tabernacle. Sort of rhetorical question, because I think most of you remember this. When Moses' sons burned a strange incense, a strange incense, if I can say it. What happened to them? It cost them their lives. And I want to submit tonight that the tabernacle is a place worth studying. So much symbolism there. So much of what Christ would one day fulfill. So to think about this incense they burned in the tabernacle, I think it also speaks of Jesus Christ and his worship. As you read and study the Old Testament, you'll find often as incense is being burned, and by the way, this is burned every day at the tabernacle. The King James says it was sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. It reached the nostrils of God. And I want to tell you tonight, folks, genuine worship reaches the nostrils of God. The scent of biblical worship. And you can imagine with me tonight that when that incense was burned, as the smoke ascended up toward heaven, it pleased God. But also as it was burned, the fragrance of that incense filled the holy place. 
And everyone knew it was a place where worship was to happen. John 12 was a very familiar story. Verse 3, the Bible says that Mary then took Mary a pound of ointment, a spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And notice this, the house was filled with the odor of the anointment. (laughs) Now imagine that. Those who were gathered there that day when Mary did that, whether they actually were watching when she broke that alabaster container, Whether or not they actually saw her do it, it wasn't long they realized something had happened. The aroma filled the room. The house was filled with the odor. And I want you to realize tonight, folks, that somehow, in some way, real worship has a way of making its presence known. And there's nothing in this world like it. And when real worship happens, it leaves the scent behind. You know you've been with God. So my focus tonight, and we'll not have church next week, but for the next couple of weeks, It's going to be related to this incense. The scent of biblical worship. So tonight what I want to do is spend some time looking at the materials in the incense. Now I do want to say tonight... That some of the points I'm going to make is certainly subjective. And we could apply many things. But no matter what, I want you to realize that everything in that tabernacle was devoted to God. Look at verse 34 again with me, Exodus 30. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte and onica, galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be a like weight. Now, I don't know how many times I've read that verse. But I must confess that in the last few weeks, there was a few words in there I had to look up to see if I could pronounce them correctly. And if you're like me, there's only one, there's four listed there. 
There's only one that I remember hearing about. And, of course, that's frankincense. But I can't help but notice, like with everything else with the tabernacle and the building of it, God was very specific when he gave Moses the ingredients to use in making this incense. And I think that these ingredients, we can learn something about Jesus Christ. Now, the main thing is this. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. So let's look at the first one, Liz, is stactic. Stactic. And that reminds me of how precious his word is. Now, again, this is sort of subjective. And I thought about what Jeremy preached this morning. But stactate is an aromatic gum, and it comes from a certain shrub. And the word itself means simply to drop or to drip. And so stactate was so precious, one reason is because it was collected one drop at a time from the plant. Now, let this on your sticky part of your mind, because we're going to talk about another one later on, a little bit different. But the plant itself would actually drip the stacting. One Roman writer and considered an authority in the first century spoke about this. And speaking of the trees where the myrrh is produced, here's what he says. Before any incision is made, now I'm reading, I want you to know this, because later on we're going to talk about one, they had to make a cut in the tree, not this one. Before any, this is what Prani says, before any incision is made, they exclude their, of their own accord what is called stacte, to which no kind of myrrh is preferable. Can you imagine? You don't cut the tree. It's not, not like drawing sap out of a maple tree in the spring. It drips it on its own. And I know that Jeremy preached on this morning and how fitting it is. But how many know that when Christ came into our world, the precious word of God dripped from his lips, the Logos. Jeremy referred to John 1, verse 1 this morning, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, the Word was made flesh, dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth.
I hope you know that when you when I call on you to pray, I listen to what you said. Now I heard you a moment ago give God thanks for his word. Isn't it precious? Isn't his word precious? Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace, in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalm 119, verse 140. Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loves it. James 3.17 But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, Instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How many are thankful for God's word tonight? Amen. Precious word. I don't have this verse in my notes tonight. But Jesus in John 6 said, my word, they are spirit and they are life. Just the way the stack day was precious, so is the word of God. My friend, it's in this book, in the Word of God, and these are the very words of God. It's in this book that God condescended to speak to fallen man. And as Jeremy preached this morning, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's this very book that God gives us His gospel, the only gospel, the only plan of salvation. There is no plan B. It's in this book that we find health for our soul. We find food for the journey and strength for the battle. It's in this book we find light for the darkness. It's in this book I find hope for every tomorrow. Every tomorrow. So if you don't mind, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing it alive in our hearts through the Spirit of God. And Father, one of the reasons we worship you is for your word. The second one in that list, and I don't know that any of them is more important than the other. Because, again, God said, Moses, I want to be the same. I want the same amount of each one. That's Annika. We're talking about being precious here. But not only... Is his word precious? His person is precious. Now, Annika is found in, it's a certain species of shellfish that only live in the Red Sea. I did a little research on it, and the name comes uh, from the Hebrew word for lion. Uh, the Greek word can also mean fingernail. I'm not sure what that means. But again, a very precious perfume. But I think about his person. 
And I realize at this time of year, we look at the baby in the manger. How many know he's no longer the baby in the manger? And he never will be again. And it reminds me that God, that Christ, is a king to be revered. He is to be honored and served, loved, obeyed, and worshipped. In fact, the Bible says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19, verse 16. And he has on his vesture, on his side, a name written, King of kings. And Lord of lords. The Bible says he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5, verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. To me, the most, one of the most fascinating things about the Word of God is how accurate it is. Because Jesus Christ is the one the Old Testament prophesied about would one day come. Not only did, did the tabernacle point to Jesus, everything in the Old Testament pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. How many know that king is Jesus Christ? That righteous branch is Jesus Christ. Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not re- depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from b- between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Shiloh is Jesus Christ. He's the one who came into our world. He's the one who was born of a virgin. He was the one, the only one, who lived a sinless life, and he died on a cross, rose again the third day, and he ascended back to heaven. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. But one of the best things, as far as I'm concerned, he's coming back for me. He went away, but guess what? He's coming again. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Notice this, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's also the one we will face at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, let me kind of throw something in here. It won't cost you anything extra. Uh, He's not talking about determining whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. If you are standing at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to heaven. Amen. This is the bima. This is the, the thing and the, when I say thing, it's the seat in the ancient Roman games where they passed out the crowns. You've already participated. You've already won the race to some degree. And so here's your rewards. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the Greek word was bima, if I pronounce that correctly. 
Jeremy can correct me later on. But that's the judgment seat of Christ. Not for salvation, but through the reward. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation uh, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So again, not the judgment of going to heaven or hell, you already saved. But the judgment of rewards. But he's also the one that one of these days, my friend, he's coming again in power. He's coming in glory. And he's coming to rule and reign forever and ever. Revelation 19, 11 through 15. John says, I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called what? Faithful. Faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only will he occupy the bima, the seat where rewards are given out, but he's also the one who will sit on the great white throne. Now remember, God says in his word that he's committed judgment to Jesus Christ. Now if you're a child of God, and as far as I know, I'm preaching to the choir tonight, and I'm glad that I am. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and so will I, the Bema. But I want to tell you about this one, because we won't be at this one. Amen. Because this is a great white throne judgment. John says in verse 11, chapter 20, Revelation, And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. You know why they ran? Yeah, they were afraid. And I saw the dead, small and great, 
standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Verse 14. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, you know tonight that Jesus, he's the one who's coming back in glory. He's the one who will be worshipped in heaven for eternity. (laughs) But best of all, and he's all of those things we talked about tonight, best of all, he's my Savior. He is my Lord, and He is my friend. Jesus is the delight of my soul. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my worship right now. And that's why we need to give God the glory. We need to praise Him, and we need to always worship Him every day of our lives. Well, I realize we've got some business to take care of tonight, so I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to get into the third one just yet. But let me know that everything in the tabernacle pointed toward Jesus. And the fact of the matter, in fact of the matter, <clears throat> it's all about him. And he includes us in that plan. Let's stand for a moment, if you would, please. Father, we're grateful tonight for who you are. And I, I pray, Lord, tonight as we're trying to draw even some inferences here, and, and I know it's subjective, but God, how precious your Son is to us. And I pray, Lord, we'll never lose that sense of awe that we have for our Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would just embed that in our minds, make it indelible, and we'll give the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.